Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, and I'm your host, Erin Martin, a certified neurohealth coach, and emotions are my jam. This podcast will empower you to feel in control instead of overwhelmed. I share a mix of brain science, coaching, and holistic lifestyle and nutrition advice, and my goal is to help you positively impact your ability for mental resilience and emotional flexibility, because we could all use a little or a lot more of that. Let's get into it. Episode 2. Pillar number one, getting a good night's sleep. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am recording this episode about 10 days out from Christmas, and I live in Toronto, Canada, so it's our winter, and the weather has been so wacky lately. On Saturday, it was 14 degrees out Celsius. That is crazy. That's like a warm spring day. And I was actually downtown with a friend and we were walking around and just noticing the hustle and bustle of December. And we were saying how, you know, this really is kind of game time when it comes to managing emotions and in particular discomfort and stress, right? Who agrees with that feeling over the holidays? It's just kind of inevitable at some point. And, you know, no matter where, this kind of greater sense of emotional flexibility would serve you best, whether it is in this holiday season or just in your life in general. Today, we're going to talk about why better sleep helps. I'm going to tell you all about why from both a brain science and emotional health perspective, plus give you some tips, tricks, and things to avoid on your quest towards better sleep. Now, because of not only my professional background, but also through personal experience, I am a huge believer in the link between the physical health of your brain as an organ and your emotional well-being. And if you listened to my episode last week, Hitting Your Emotional Bottom, I really do hope that one of the biggest takeaways for you was that emotional well-being is a daily lifestyle practice. It is an intentional way of living where every day you choose your habits that align with the goal of managing your emotions. Like that is the goal. (laughs) And I'll tell you, hot tip, once you can manage your emotions, any other goal is possible. So truly for me, like that's the be all and end all of the whole thing. I consider there to be three pillars of health that are non-negotiables when it comes to creating this kind of strong foundation of mental health. And, you know, that is to base any other coaching work from. And today we're going to explore in detail pillar number one, which is getting a good night's sleep. And as you and I both know, sounds simple, but it is these simplest things that often get taken for granted. So today as I talk, I really want you to reflect on where your sleep is at. Like get real with yourself. Think about in what ways it could improve and how feeling more rested would positively impact your life. Like in what ways? Where would it specifically benefit? Each week really is kind of an opportunity for you to be coached on this show. So I really encourage you to listen closely 
for the stuff that sounds like I'm talking directly to you. Maybe keep a pen and paper handy and just enjoy the show. Question, guys. Are you someone whom if I asked about your sleep, you would say something like, well, yeah, it's bad, but it's always been that way. Or I try, but I just can't get my mind to shut off. Once I heard a woman say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) What a thing to say, no? And let me tell you, she was burnt out, overwhelmed, and emotionally out of balance. And surprisingly, okay, total confession, that woman was me. (laughs) She was me. And let me tell you, it was not that long ago. I thought sleep is boring, and so I never gave it the importance that it deserved. And I paid for it, let me tell you. The truth is, quality sleep, enough of it and in the right amounts, is as essential to your survival as food and water. It's not a luxury, as some might think. It is a necessity. Let's start with how much. So different ages need different amounts. You can Google it. But for adults aged 18 to 60 years old, that number is seven to nine hours. So ask yourself right now, how much do I get currently on average? And if it's not in that range, or it is, but you're thinking, but I'm still tired, then today you are going to get a boatload of value from everything that I talk about. I am going to discuss all of the information in two sections. So the first one is going to be all about how sleep affects your brain and your emotional health. And then in the second part, we're going to break down what defines quality sleep. So let's start looking at an area that gets hit the hardest by a lack of good sleep, and that would be relationships and communication. It's kind of funny, not funny, (laughs) but like how many relationships are falling apart right now simply because people are overtired. It just so makes everything that much harder, right? Anything that's a problem, it's like more of a problem when we're tired. And, you know, one of the biggest issues that I think with this is that because people co-regulate off of each other, it's very easy for like low energy or a low mood to influence the people around us, right? For it to feel almost contagious. And whether that is being snappy with your partner or it could be giving the finger in traffic or like a dirty look (laughs) or lashing out in a Zoom meeting at a coworker. I'm sure that's happened often with COVID. You know, not getting enough sleep increases the likelihood that your emotional responses will be less calculated, more impulsive, and more intense. And does that not sound (laughs) like a recipe for disaster? Research has actually shown that too little sleep or poor quality increases activity in a part of your brain that's responsible for the immediate emotional reactions. So this is the amygdala. And you can imagine why that causes trouble. And what's really interesting is that the intensity of reaction actually increases across the whole spectrum of emotions, from positive to negative, which kind of makes sense. 
So if anybody feels like a ride on the good old emotional roller coaster, then just skip some sleep and step right up. And additionally, sleep deprivation also impacts the ability for your amygdala to communicate effectively with your front brain. So that's the part of you that assists in regulating the emotions and managing aforementioned (laughs) impulsiveness. So it's that part of you that before you open your mouth or before you do something, it says, wait, 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 just want to think about that. Double, Double think it. So we want that line of communication open and healthy, right? Because living at the mercy of your emotions is no fun. It leads to chronic stress, lowered immune system, mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, or also sleep deprivation simply can lead to feelings of insecurity, shame, or guilt over behavior, right? Over behavior that we might not have taken or done would we have been more rested. And as much as, you know, reactions in the moment can suck, my personal um, experience, I find that it's the afterburn of it, sitting in regret over what I've done or said, wasting time and energy, like replaying it over and over, like it's no fun. And so can you see how being tired leads to emotional overwhelm in this way, which is further exhausting, which then leads to more of the same. And pretty soon it's kind of hard to see which is the chicken or the egg in this scenario. And this is why proper sleep is such a pillar of emotional well-being. Because if you know your sleep is up to par, like if you understand what that means, looks like, and you're doing making the efforts and you feel like it's kind of on track, then you can rule that out, right, as a possible reason why your emotions might be so haywire. And then you can move on to other um, possible reasons. So it's kind of a strategy, right, to be able to rule out sleep. But if sleep is off, then that is where you need to start, at least taking it into consideration. Next, let's discuss REM sleep. So this stands for rapid eye movement. And in case you didn't know, when you sleep, you actually cycle through different phases, repeating throughout the night. And you will visit REM multiple times, actually. And it is the part of the cycle where you do most of your dreaming. And so a little advice here. Any TV or movies you watch before bed, don't let it give you nightmares. Choose wisely. It's important what you are putting in your brain before you shut your eyes. Remember, like you and your brain, and I'm going to say this a whole bunch of times over many podcast episodes, you and your brain are a team. You have to be on your brain's side. Your brain is just, uh, you know, a poor piece of flesh (laughs) sitting up in your skull in the dark. And like, we really have to try to help our brain out and allowing it to get some good rest is definitely one of the ways that we do that. Okay, I'm off track. Okay, so REM sleep. So the main thing, the cool thing that really applies here to know about REM is that it helps to consolidate learning and memory. So your day, not your life, all of our lives are filled with these emotionally charged experiences, and that is inescapable. And these experiences will get stored in your brain as something called 
memories. <clears throat> Pardon me. And it stores memories using an emotional tag system. So if you close your eyes right now and think of a memory that kind of brings you some warm and fuzzy feelings. Isn't that lovely? Okay. Open your eyes. We all know the opposite of that feeling. And this is where REM sleep in particular is incredibly useful. I think it's like magic actually, because REM helps you to process painful and difficult memories. So the ones that are opposite of warm and fuzzy. Is that not so cool? <laughs> I just think that is so cool. It encourages your emotional mind to return to a more neutral state in the morning. And I was thinking how, you know, my mom and my grandma, they always used to tell me, and I say it all the time now to people, that things are always better in the morning. And that is totally true. And now the science behind it is clear. REM helps to process emotional pain. So, you know, also if you are doing any sort of trauma recovery, you know, shadow work, or just any sort of intense kind of self-development where lots of emotions and maybe former, you know, wounds are, are being brought to the surface, then REM really is your best friend. Now, the longest cycles of REM are in the last third of your sleep of the night. So do try to get all of those recommended seven to nine hours so that you can really benefit from REM sleep. And there are tons of apps that track sleep cycles. So you could always download one and see where is your REM at, right? Maybe just knowing your numbers could be that motivation that you need to really decide, okay, I'm going to change some habits here. Quality sleep also plays a huge role in combating negative looping thought patterns. Don't we all love those? <laughs> Your brain is way more likely to get stuck on repeat, catastrophizing, worrying about the future. One of my clients calls it awfulizing, which I love, and kind of ruminating on these negative experiences. And remember, as I mentioned, it's a lot easier to lose control of your actions and your reactions when your brain is under rested. So a good night's sleep absolutely helps to lead us to greater clarity of mind and then this sense of agency over your thoughts and feelings, like that you are in control. Tasks are easier to complete, right? Because being rested means you have energy and drive and motivation. Like I always know that I'm well rested when I swear my to-do list just seems to do itself. Making an effort, whether it is with other people or for yourself, is so much easier. I am convinced even habits like procrastination are improved because I do, I have a hypothesis, <laughs> bear with me, that one of the contributing causes of procrastination is being tired, just being tired. Every single client that I talk to that has trouble with procrastinating also feels tired. And I know like my procrastinating habit is way more intense if I'm under rested. They just kind of really seem to go hand in hand. Now, whether that exhaustion is because of poor sleep or because maybe you're so drained from beating yourself up all day 
at all the things that you haven't gotten done. That part of my my theory has yet to be decided, but I will keep you up on it <laughs> as I continue to do my research. Okay, so I want you to think here, what are the indicators in your day that serve as evidence when your sleep was at par, right? When you were when you are properly rested, how can you tell? And then the opposite, how can you not tell? Like how can you tell when you're not? I mean, what are some of the first areas of your life that start to suffer when you don't have a good sleep? And how important is that area of your life for you? As you can really start to see, quality sleep is so important for optimizing your health, mind, body, and spirit, optimizing your relationships, and what it is that you're capable of every day. There really is not much that a good night's sleep doesn't improve. So Erin, you might ask, what does define quality sleep anyway? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> so there are several categories. Let's break each one down. So first is sleep latency. So this is how long it takes you to fall asleep. And I was the worst with this for a lot of my life. I would be checking the clock in my room, listening, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> it's like Chinese water torture. Every time I check it, it's later and later and just get more and more frustrated, more and more awake, it would seem. And I think this is really a universal experience. Thankfully now, I have myself down under the recommended time, which is to fall asleep under 30 minutes. Now, for sleep latency, I think your best line of defense here is to develop a nightly routine. So for one, you could go for a walk after dinner. That can help to aid in digestion. I really love to do this. Also, spending some time doing something relaxing. So myself and many others read. And really, like, I'll read for 15 minutes before bed and then... I, it's like I've tucked my eyes into bed almost and they just kind of get tired as the 15 minutes goes by. And then I turn up my lights and I'm asleep very fast. And this is because I've programmed my brain to know that when we're in bed, we sleep. That's what I do. Because truthfully, one of the best things that I ever did for my bedtime routine was to stop watching TV in bed. Stop being on my phone in bed. Just stop doing anything really other than like reading for 15 minutes and then sleeping. You want your bedroom to encourage sleep, right? To signal to your brain that this is where we go to rest. I like to think that kitchens are for cooking, living rooms are for entertainment, and bedrooms are for sleeping. If you keep it that way, your brain will thank you. And then you will be thanking your brain the next day when you are living in like, you know, emotional contentment. And this is especially important if you're prone to things like worrying, racing thoughts, or anxiousness at bedtime. You could do something like also keep a pad of paper and pen by your bed to write down any of those thoughts that might come up, whether they are critical or creative. You know, getting them out of your head and onto paper can greatly reduce mental chatter. I kind of feel like like my brain wants to tell me a bunch of things that are important before bed and then I worry I'm going to forget. So by getting them onto paper, it kind of 
like sets my mind at rest. It sets my mind at ease a little bit. So maybe try that if you struggle with that too. And you can even do it in the middle of the night as well. So there are some physical habits that I just want to point out here that can negatively affect your sleep latency rate. So these are things like eating too closely to bed, excessive sugar or caffeine later in the day, especially at night, screens before bed because the blue light interferes with your circadian rhythm, even exercising later at night or working because then you can kind of get wound up, right? Of course, there are situational experiences such as fighting with a partner or maybe with your kids, watching movies that are violent or like very exciting with loud explosions and my daughter calls them jump scares. Could be opening work emails if that kind of gives you a sense of anxiety or even and this one I think is also really important to pay attention to is engaging online in anything that is, you know, conflictive or hostile, right? Like some sort of arguments or opinions online that kind of make your blood boil a little bit, you know, and these are really important to pay attention to. In particular, I was just thinking the news, like the news is horrible for that. Like that's designed to make you feel like upset pretty much. So all of these can activate your sympathetic response. So that's your fight or flight. And it's pretty hard for the body and the mind to relax and rest when your nervous system thinks that it has detected this possibility of threat. And I hear you right now, you're saying, okay, Aaron, <laughs> you're being a bit dramatic. But it is totally true. Okay, you have to remember that you are only conscious of 5% of what your brain is up to. Five. The other 95% is unconscious, meaning there is far more happening behind the scenes than you are aware of. And that fact kind of blew my mind when I first learned it. So maybe it's blowing yours as well. But also... You know, that beautiful brain and that skull of yours is 40,000 years old. That's another fact to blow your mind, I'm sure. 40,000, okay? It has not changed. So if you can imagine the world 40,000 years ago and that staying alive truly was a daily goal, then you can hopefully have a bit of compassion and understanding for why your brain is set up the way that it is and reacts to stress the way that it does. And there are some stresses that are kind of naturally occurring and not in our control, but then there are a lot of habits that create stress for us that absolutely are. These are the ones we want to take responsibility for. Now, the next measure of quality shut eye is sleep waking. So this is how many times you wake up in the night. Now, once or twice is okay, but more than that probably means your deep sleep cycles, like REM, are being disrupted. And there's a couple kind of obvious habits to watch out for here that can sabotage this area. So one, drinking too much liquid before bed, because then you have to wake up and use the bathroom. And I mean, I get up to pee, <laughs> pardon me, you know, at least once a night. But if I'm up a second or third time, then I know that I've had like one too many glasses of water before bed. 
Because then also, then you have to contend with like falling back asleep, right? Secondly, something else to watch for is eating sugary foods. Like I mentioned that last time too. Or drinking alcohol before bed. And this is really interesting. is because they both spike your blood sugar. Okay, yes, alcohol is just sugar once it's um, processed by the body. And what happens is your blood sugar spikes when you're awake, then you go to sleep and it crashes. And then you wake up and you'll wake up maybe overly thirsty or for some strange reason craving like a 2 a.m. snack. Okay, these are indications that your blood sugar crashed. And don't get me wrong, snacking before bed is not a bad thing, but you want that snack to be like nutritious in some way right, to have some substance to it. I like to think if you add some protein to your snacks, like maybe some cheese or a half a boiled egg, something like that, it's going to help to balance um, the way that it enters your bloodstream and balance your blood sugar. Lately, I've been trying to get into this Ayurvedic drink. It's called Warm Golden Milk, which um, at fancy coffee shops, (laughs) it's called Turmeric Latte. And basically, it's made with some sort of milk. I like to use dairy milk because it has tryptophan in it, which um, helps with sleep. Everybody think of like turkey dinner. But you can also use a a vegan milk as well, like a nut milk or coconut milk. Then it's got turmeric, which I love because turmeric is anti-inflammatory, especially for the brain. So that's like a total win for me. It's also got uh, cinnamon which is good for cleaning the blood, and ginger. Everybody knows ginger is great. Black pepper, and the black pepper actually helps the the turmeric to work better in your body. So it's like, is that not just sound so amazing? It's like a power-packed drink. And then I like to add a touch of sweetener, like maple syrup. So for this, I'm going to actually leave um, in the show notes a recipe that I found and further information if you want to know more about warm golden milk. So yeah, any snack that has a little bit of protein in it is really going to help to lessen that blood sugar crash during the night and hopefully alleviate it altogether. Okay, another suggestion I have here to help you sleep more soundly through the night is to make sure that you don't get too hot. Okay, maybe try cracking a window for some cooler night air, like it's winter here. So that's a good, that's a good one if you're in Canada right now in December. Also choosing pajamas that are breathable, not synthetic material, or even reducing the temperature in your bedroom because your body temperature actually drops when you are asleep. So this will help your body from overheating and then waking you up. And speaking of getting hot, and I get it, you guys, but pets. (laughs) Okay, pets. Yes, I have four cats, and I love it when they sleep with me. But man, those cats are hot. You know, they take up space in the bed. One of them likes to try to sleep on my pillow, and they wake me up. They simply, they wake me up in the night. And Well, sometimes, yes, I allow them to sleep in the bedroom with us. Often, if I'm really overtired or I know, like, let's say if I have a migraine or something, because I sometimes get those and I really need to have a good night's sleep, I will kick the cats out of the bed. That's a surefire way to make my sleep better. 
So like, I'm not telling anybody what to do here. I know we love our cats and dogs, but just want you to kind of keep an open mind that pets can sometimes sabotage our ability to sleep soundly. Okay, the next factor of quality sleep here is wakefulness. So this is how much time you spend physically awake when you wake up in the night. And hopefully it's under 20 minutes. So if you wake up three times at four minutes each, then you're good, right? And I'm sure you've had this experience where, you know, you wake up and then bam, off to the races your mind goes, spinning like a hamster on a wheel. Sometimes I swear it's like my thoughts wake me up. <laughs> they wake up and they're like, my brain's like, Erin, I want to have a chat. And I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> it's 3.30. <laughs> so I have two suggestions here. The first, and this is going to seem counterintuitive, is to get up. Like get up, get out of bed. Stop laying there trying to sleep. It's like 45 minutes, an hour, two hours later, and you're still laying there. Just get up out of bed. Go to another room, maybe grab a book. Heck, if you want to turn on the TV, that's fine, or your laptop, just dim the brightness. That's what I do. I just put it down like really, really low. And for me, like if I'm up for 20 minutes, like if I get up out of bed and I'm up for 20 minutes, I will start to feel more tired. And then when I go back to back into my bedroom, I fall asleep right away. So give that a shot if this is something that, that you struggle with in the night. And my second suggestion here, this is also going to seem like kind of a bit funny, is to give yourself the choice as to whether you want to participate in these conversations. Like I think because when we're interacting with people, if someone talks to us, we feel this kind of responsibility to talk back, like to, to engage. And with our brain, it's no different. Like our brain starts to talk to us, but we don't have to engage. You can choose to say, I don't want to participate in this conversation right now. And so the best kind of way to do this is to meditate. And of course, meditating in the middle of the night is not ideal. So nobody write in to tell me what a bad idea that is. But I just mean the concept of laying there and letting your thoughts come and go, right? Letting them come and then letting them go without judgment, without making it a big deal, but just practicing kind of some of that mindfulness. It really, really does work. This is another strategy that I have employed over the last year, and I found that it really works. Of course, of course it works better if you practice some sort of form of meditation during the day when you're awake, but if 3 a.m. is like your time to do that, then power to you. Okay, and lastly, we have sleep efficiency. So this is the amount of time that you are actually asleep versus just laying in bed. And most sleep apps can calculate this also. So you want it to be above 85% ideally. This is a math equation basically. And if you Google sleep efficiency percentage, then you can figure that out what yours is. And I just think this is cool because it allows you to track your progress as you're adjusting habits using this kind of quantifiable way of measuring. Now, no matter how challenging that it may seem to improve your sleep quantity or quality, I guarantee that of everything I talked about today, there is something that you can do. And listen, sleep is never going to be perfect. So all of you perfectionists out there who are thinking, great, now I'm failing at sleeping, just relax. I just want you to really like not disregard it. Don't just throw sleep like all oh, sleep is sleep is sleep, right? Like don't don't act like that. Don't tell yourself that, you know, coffee is my solution. 
It's just a Band-Aid. Okay, rather, I want you to honor just how much your brain and your emotional health will benefit from it. Now, being a neurohealth coach, I do love me some high-quality brain supplements. So a few popular ones that um, I would recommend are melatonin, which most people know about. Then there's magnesium, which is really great for its relaxing effects on mood and muscles. Or one I've been um, into lately is GABA, which is actually an amino acid, and it helps you to kind of just like loosen up and relax. So I have a favorite high-quality supplement brand, and no, I am not endorsed by them, though that would be wonderful. (laughs) And uh, a girlfriend of mine who is a holistic nutritionist, she turned me on to them. Shout out Amanda, and you can check her out actually on Instagram at um, our lush earth. So it's a company called AOR. They're a Canadian company, and they have this award-winning product called OrthoSleep, which is power-packed with L-theanine and GABA, both for relaxation, and then also 5-HTP, which is actually a serotonin precursor, which becomes melatonin in the body, which is really cool, like geeking out there. So it not only helps with sleep, but it also helps you to combat worry and stress. So amazing, right? And I will also post the link for OrthoSleep in the show notes. The last thing I want to leave you with today is that, interestingly, those seven to nine hours that I mentioned earlier are not actually about giving your brain a break, as you might think. I used to. In fact, both your brain and your body stay incredibly active during sleep. And what happens is a brain detoxification and cellular repair process. There's a gentleman, Dr. Jeff Illiff, who gave a TED Talk about this subject and said, I quote, when the brain is awake and is at its most busy, it puts off clearing away the waste from the spaces in between its cells until later. And then when it goes to sleep, and it doesn't have to be as busy, it shifts into a kind of cleaning mode to clear away the waste that's accumulated throughout the day. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Sleep is like a cleaning lady for your brain. How cool is that? And who doesn't want that, right? I sure do. (laughs) Okay, that's everything for today. As I said, I know that you must have heard at least one or two small changes that you could make tonight that would help to improve your sleep. And this is how we get change. Very small, bite-sized, manageable shifts. Okay, 1% differences that all add up over time. So what 1% shift or difference could you make tonight to try to help your sleep along? Okay, that's your coaching work for the week. Thank you everyone for joining me today. Sending you lots of love and of course, Lots of sweet dreams. Bye. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to hear more of what I have to say, come follow me on Instagram at Erin Jacqueline Martin or visit my website, www.erinmartincoaching.com. You can learn more about my services or workshops or book a free consultation to see if my one-to-one program, Freedom From Within, is the right fit for you. 
We work together to break your destructive emotional patterns in favor of new, effective, and empowering coping strategies. One of the ways we do this is through food. And so I would also like to announce that I'm doing a online coaching retreat focused on eating for emotional well-being in January. And I would love for you to be there. We're going to have so much fun. So if interested, DM me, or you can also send me an email at erinmartincoaching at gmail.com, and we'll chat more. I hope to meet you. Bye.